Dynamite! And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Arabic for Come With Me, as we invite you along with us for the 2021 F1 season. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good. Is that four Arabic races in a row now for you? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, I should I should probably know more than... Um, well, zero words. I had to look that one up. So, uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Uh, ready to go racing at last. Yes. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome indeed. And if you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer episode is a few episodes back uh, that assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 137. It'll get you up to speed, as they say. Oh, my God. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely <laughs> by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Every month we release bonus podcasts uh, and videos exclusively for those patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, uh, experiments with other racing series, uh, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on this month, Danny? We did it. We did it. Pow, 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 pow. We finally <laughs> breached 1,000 patrons. Thank you so Woo! much to everyone. We're at uh, 1,005 patrons, uh, which means we said if we got over 1,000, originally we were going to do a track day, but you know, then the whole global pandemic happened. So uh, we changed it up to do a, a live streamed uh, community show uh, during a um, non-race weekend. So we will get to... Uh, uh, organizing that originally I was thinking like mid-season break but I guess we hit a thousand patrons faster than expected so um, we'll do a little bit earlier Uh, we also have if you want to join up now of course there's the back catalog of podcasts but um, we this week recorded our first uh, episode in the drive to survive sort of recap review show um, where myself and Rob dive into episodes one two and three of drive to survive Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with um, part two which we'll cover uh, four through six um we wanted to get the jump on it with this month so we could sort of gobble them up quickly rather than waiting for next month to start that particular ball rolling so loads of stuff going on there we're going to start adding our video stuff soon and of course we have uh our <laughs> our sponsors to shout out because like any good f1 team um we couldn't do this without our sponsors namely our six livery sponsors for this week's episode um get used to hearing some of these for the rest of the year because some of these folks went annual um all right so shout out to our beautiful sponsors uh will romp uh, umberto roca jason kelly jason chadwick who asked to be named that way big heavy rain fan uh reagan <laughs> and of course Circuit Demon, the rich energy of headlights. That is a real company. <laughs> that's and that may not be their official subtitle. <laughs> okay, that's that's a that's a Danny editorial there. Uh, no, that's that's uh, that's the 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 dude who uh, who runs oh, the company. Really? Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I I was like I was like sure if you want to like change up the slogan every now and again. He was like yeah sure. So who knows? Maybe it'll be slightly different every couple of weeks. <laughs> See if our sponsors can do it. Mission Winnow could do it anytime they want. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> Wait, are you saying for fifty dollars a month we'll we'll promote cigarettes, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 
it would require way more than that, but you know, there's a price. <laughs> it's F1. It's F1. There's always a price, right? There's always a price. Uh, well, today we will be discussing uh, the first of the 2021 races, the upcoming race this weekend in Bahrain. But first, uh, let's take it to like, what little news there is. I feel like after testing, everybody's just hunkering down. Uh, getting ready to start and no one's really making news but we do yeah. have a few i'd feel bad if we hadn't here. done five hours of podcasts on this season already <laughs> right <laughs> before the season started true um the the most interesting to me at least was the revelation of the circuit layout for the upcoming i guess end of season mm. it's i think the second to last race just before abu dhabi um in saudi arabia F1 has never raced there, and we knew that we were going there, but we didn't know what the track actually looked like. So F1 has now uh, released not only a circuit map, but um, a virtual simulation. I don't know if they're using R-Factor, or I, I doubt it's the F1 game, um, but they have like a like someone in a simulator playing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thoughts? Danny? Um there's 24,000 up fingers up likes on this video and 16,000 down. Um <laughs> it's uh it's it's terrifying. It's is it like is this F0 or wipeout? It just seems like it's it's we already knew it was the fastest street circuit ever made. Um which makes sense given the sort of long straights drawn. It looks like it's relatively long compared to a lot of them. But dude, it looks so tight and it just has floodlights like Singapore, but like four times as many of them. So it's just, it, at least in this render, it just looks insane. Like just it looks like you're, you know, in a music video for the entire lap, just like speeding around corners, uh, very tight and uh, not much runoff anywhere to be seen. It's like Sochi at night is what it kind of feels like. Rob, you're nodding. Yeah, I don't like anything i'm like i saw in this video uh there's a few things one like the thing that immediately jumped to mind was um when formula e ran at battersea park and it was a neat location and an interesting like place to stage a race but the circuit was not wide enough uh for a lot of good action to be generated. And so you had weird attacks being made in the chicanes. Cause that was the only place where there's like a, a chart past somebody, uh, a car ahead. here. It feels like it is obviously a wider circuit than that. Uh, but obviously like with a circuit this fast width isn't the only issue. It's ability to get clean air. Uh, the other thing is where is the runoff? We've, we've sort of seen like you encourage people to take chances if there's runoff, uh, there doesn't appear to be much like you are in a Death Star trench run situation. Uh, <laughs> like any misstep is probably going to be a, a day ender. And honestly, at these speeds, I am kind of curious. I know this is a work in progress. So like this render we're seeing probably is not what it will look like on race day where they've got like the proper barriers in. But at the same time, like this is a fast circuit with a lot of hard walls and not a ton of space for you to sort of gather the car back up. So I am a little unclear as to 
uh, both how you're going to incentivize overtakes and going to make that a risk reward calculation that makes sense for drivers. Like, honestly, this is a worst case scenario for a new F1 circuit for me. Yeah, it's I'm shocked at how little like you, you struggle to see anywhere where there might be overtakes, even the first yeah. turn, which is usually a gimme. You're like, I don't know, like this first turn looks like it would be easy to close the door on if you were in the front because it's so slow. Uh, and then I just there's no way this one's not going to have a safety car. Like, no. I don't know where you could unless you crashed into one of the runoff areas. And even then, they'd probably have to do it like in uh, uh, um, uh, Azerbaijan. Well, so and, yeah. and something else. Um, so we're seeing this from an in-car view in this in this video. But as guys watched a lot of street circuits in like indie for instance where like things are just table flat and everything um this looks like it might be one of the least visually interesting and appealing courses on the circuit as well because the thing is like okay so this render has a skybox around it again pro- like we don't know for sure how it's going to look in reality but the thing that um str- jumps out at me is you're going to have camera angles angling down into the track. And so there's going to be no iconic visual landmarks that you're going to be able to identify. Like you're always going to be looking at uh, catch fencing barriers and cars racing around streets. Um, I don't think you will ever feel like it seems like it's going to be a very hard circuit for you to have any sort of sense of the geography of where a cut is now showing you on the racetrack and building a picture of the race. So like, I think the racing is going to be tough. I also think it's a spectator experience. I don't see a lot to grab onto here. Yeah, it's uh, it's got wild Formula E energy. And like I like Formula <laughs> E, but you can't scale up Formula E. It doesn't work. You can't just make it like slightly wider and the straights longer <laughs> than it works. You know, uh, there's a reason why we don't have many extra street circuits. But like places like Singapore, for instance, like have interesting open like parts of the track you know they have uh there's a bunch of uh interesting like chicanes and there's there's parts where the track opens up it's clearly taking up like four lanes of a highway or something you know it's it it it, it breathes the track gets tight and it gets white this looks like it's fairly tight the entire time it doesn't look like there's any spot where it really like undulates and br- the only thing that like was a little bit novel it looks like one of the left-handers is a slight bank on it um hmm. but that's yeah but again who knows the render but these turns aren't really turns you know like it's looking at the the track map is kind of funny because it just looks like a bobby pin like it is just kind of wiggly uh like it 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 has 27 quote corners yeah but but they've labeled literally every tiny bend in some of these are like yeah 15 degrees maybe (laughs) which in an f1 car going fast you know is a turn you know it's not straight but like yeah these aren't like i I mean there was a whole part of that early part of the track that was being taken in sixth gear the entire time and it was like four or five turns so yeah zero chance of rain there as well um not that you'd want want it on the track like that either, but yeah, I that that seems like one of those. Uh, whoever gets pole is is winning that one, um, unless there's something disastrous. We'll see. Yep. Let's wait and see. Lot of racing between now and then. Yes. Uh, one more thing that's uh, throwing a wrench into things. Um, a spanner, if you will. Yes, for those across the pond. 
Um, what's up with uh, Hamilton's management team, Rob? Yeah, so uh, this is a bit of an odd story. It may not mean anything at all, but uh, so Hamilton has his own management company that effectively handles both his personal representation and his uh, at least some of his various business uh, ventures. Uh, Project 44 is the name of the company, and for years that has been run by Mark Hines, uh, an ex-Formula 3 racer and one of Hamilton's uh, like best friends and confidants. Hines has departed the company uh, this, this offseason, and Hamilton says it's an amicable split. Uh, Hines is moving on to, you know, an unannounced project or the just family parts unknown. Bean business. What? The family bean business. He's going back. Yeah. Do you guys he, have Heinz uh, beans here? Oh, sorry. Dad jokes. Keep going. My bad. Yeah, I, I was baffled. Um, <laughs> but the only thing that this raises for me is like the last time Hamilton had a change in representation was obviously when his father sort of departed, uh, right. having like handling his affairs. And that coincided at the time with Hamilton struggling a bit in a McLaren that was fading and just having a, a number of tough years in the sport and very visibly like struggling uh, with with his position in the sport and his feelings about it. So things are very different, obviously, now. But nevertheless, this is a pretty significant change for a guy who I think it's safe to say Hamilton seems to like having consistency around yeah. him. You know, he's worked with the same people years and years and years and years. And so a change like this, I am kind of curious uh, if it does reflect anything else going on, or even if it doesn't, whether it ends up uh, impacting Hamilton a little bit as just a thing he is trying to navigate and adjust to in the background of the season. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it, I think it's, going to take a lot to unsettle Hamilton but I do wonder if this says anything about his commitment past this year mm. you know right. the entire thing I might think be there's a down. yeah there's a not a strong chance but there's like a real chance that he could retire after this you know uh, I, I I could see him going either way like I want to show everyone that I can race with these new cars in 2022 and still be uh, the best there is. Or I could see him saying like, you know what? I got eight world championships, uh, the most ever peace out. I also wouldn't be surprised if like Lewis is like clearly a very accomplished person, but there are some people who are like, you know, their ceiling is F1. Like that's what they're like. Kimmy, right? Kimmy's not going to do anything else after F1. He's a race driver. He, He loves to drive. Hamilton is like a very like capable and driven dude and clearly cares a lot about things outside of racing too so i wouldn't be surprised if that's also that could be part of the whole mix-up too is you know you've got a bunch of people who are very f1 focused maybe in his management team maybe this new team is a bit broader you know thinking outside of racing as well um something like that i mean it's all speculation but yeah i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if he retired the one thing i would be surprised is if hamilton retired and we didn't hear from him ever again i think he's you know if if anything i think he is very vocal about using his position as to to influence people so um yeah who knows uh two more quick things i just wanted to point out here um julian palmer a former formula one driver who does a lot of um 
I guess punditry for uh, for F1 officially, and I think with uh, Channel Four, if that's right, that is a channel in the UK, but I don't know if he okay. does it. Um, somebody, BBC, whatever. Do they have anyway, F1 um, anymore? <laughs> the, he demoed uh, an F1 steering wheel um, on the Formula One YouTube channel, just showing like what all the buttons do. Because uh, if you've ever seen one, there are a lot. Um, it's not exhaustive. It's about a seven-minute video or something, but it does give a, a good indication um, uh, of what drivers are having to do uh, around a lap, which is something that um, I wish they would honestly talk a little more about uh, or or surface a little more um, because you're you're not only like turning the wheel and pressing the the brakes and changing gears and stuff. You're like reprogramming the car as you are like going around a lap or even in turns and on straights. So. Um, it's it, to me knowing that stuff makes uh makes the driver's task all the more uh, impressive. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can tell Drew is the pilot of the podcast crew as well. You're uh you're very into the um control surfaces required. Oh, yes. and the, the different plates in that are being spun in any driver's brain at any one time. Yeah, give me give me a knob, a toggle, <laughs> a lever. Um, and then the last thing, uh, there, there was a, um, an article written by Pierre Gasly in the Players' Tribune uh, about his very difficult uh, 2019, um, the year he was uh, kicked out of Red Bull, back down to Toro Rosso, uh, and, um, of course, uh, the death of his close friend Antoine Hubert uh, at um, Spa that year. So uh, he wrote about that and how uh, that year basically... Um, changed who he was and it's a it's a really heavy but really well-written article and uh, if you want to know what uh, makes a guy like Pierre Gasly tick I uh, highly recommend reading it so I will link that in the show notes uh, as well Uh, anything else in news you guys want to hit doesn't look like there's much everyone's gone quiet yeah Um, then let's just take it to the upcoming circuit danny you want to take us around bahrain for the yes. you know fourth time in a row or whatever yeah who knows at this stage it was like used to be easy to tell when we were at this track because you know the first race was in 2004 and we had the you know the the 10 year anniversary and and all and but now it's just been used as a sort of a filler for preseason testing and for the end of the season we had the uh the second configuration uh um last the secure configuration um around the back end which is where Sergio Perez had his terrific moment uh, which kind of changed a lot of the that was the last sort of little bit of the lemon uh, uh dance with all of our drivers going to different uh, uh teams and whatnot so it's got a fun place in my memory because I think we've just spent a lot of time there and it's served up some fun races. Um, it's now back in its sort of more traditional part. It's usually not the first race of the season. So of course, we usually go to Melbourne, but um, it usually is a little bit earlier in the season than it was last year, right? Stuck in right at the end, uh, even if it makes um, honestly more sense for it to be beside the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix considering they're, God, I don't know. 100 balls from each other or something uh, it's it's not very far at all um maybe like an hour plane flight um in 2010 it changed the cert the to the endure to use the endurance circuit after turn four um which has come up a couple of times uh they they they've had a couple of configuration changes here uh, it's one of these new tracks that has a lot of configurations like abu dhabi um they've never used any of the other ones in abu dhabi sadly but um 
uh, that's that's cool. But one of the biggest changes was in that 10 year anniversary, they uh, did it at nighttime from then on is the second circuit that was done at nighttime after Singapore. Uh, so in 2014, they started floodlighting it and it's been that way ever since. Uh, one of the little niggles about that is that there's only one practice session, which really sort of accounts for race um I guess conditions and that is P2 because the other ones are done earlier in the daytime so track temps and whatnot are all um a little bit different uh, the other thing I guess is that it's a little bit earlier than usual here too I think and we already saw preseason testing which again does not usually happen here it usually happens uh, in other usually European circuits Barcelona primarily um we had a lot of wind and a lot of sandstorms and that type of thing. Um, we were expecting more weird weather in the penultimate and third last race of the year at Bahrain um, last year, but it didn't really surface. Um, but it's always something to keep an eye on. It never rains here <laughs> during a race weekend anyway. Um, but that is something to take into consideration. Um, the... Uh, track itself is the same as last year. They have the same as the first Bahrain GP last year. Um, it is a, a fun track. There's a not. There's a little bit of elevation change, so it's good for spectators. But uh, the thing that's most important about it, I guess, is that there's plenty of places to overtake. Um, and this has helped uh, in a large part to the fact that it is one of the tracks, one of the first tracks that got a third DRS detection, or sorry, a DRS zone, um, and they have kept it. Uh, the three DRS zones, one is the star finish straight, which is kind of par for the course these days. Um, the other one is the, uh, p- the the final straight before the last turn, um, which is almost as long as the star finish straight. So that brings up an interesting sort of where do you defend scenario for the uh, driver in front. Um, and then the... Uh, I've done this in reverse, by the way. Just that was the first one, and the third one is that one. Um, and then the second DRS detection slap bang in the middle of sector two, and it's the smallest straight of the of the three. It happens between turns ten and turns eleven. Uh, turn ten is a, a very interesting corner. It's like a corkscrew to the left. Uh, breaking zone is really tricky on it. Um, people can dive down into it a little bit on turn nine and get within the DRS detection zone early. Like they can throw themselves into it so that they can try and open DRS on turn 10. Um, high lateral loads on that one. Uh, but also there's other places to overtake. We've seen overtakes on turn four. We've seen overtakes on turn eight. Um, we've seen overtakes, of course, on uh, uh, out of turn one, turn two, where there's usually a little bit of argy-bargy as they go down that straight um so yeah there's a there's a bunch of uh, places to overtake wait did i get that wrong is that is there no drs detection zone on the back straight the, I, yeah i think it's it's after um turn three is the second one which oh, is that is. where grosjean had his accident yeah yes sorry the final okay. straight before the start finish straight is very long and very fast but for whatever reason it is not a drs straight i guess because yes. maybe they felt it would be silly or maybe it's just because you are ultimately heading toward a i think one of the walls of the facility might be back there yeah um, i'm sorry i think it was the secure one is where they swapped that one because it was the only yeah. the middle one was gone yeah my bad so sorry it's but the, you could put four on here you could, could. easily yeah I but would. yeah, like like you said, it's it's the so it's the star finish straight. It's 
the next straight, which is down into turn four, which, yes, as you said, turn three is where uh, Grosjean has incident. And then it's that middle one in sector two. Uh, so disregard the Irishman is not the, the back straight. But the back straight is also a spot where overtaking can happen. But people tend to weigh, up, weigh that up against the, uh, the first uh, DRS straight and turn one. This is... And two. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is such an interesting track, because I remember when it first came out, they were running it during the day. Not a popular uh, track, didn't seem to have a lot of character. They moved to night, uh, made it visually a much more ex- exciting place. But I do think the the changes to which layout they're running, it has turned into a really entertaining course. Uh, that like There's a lot of room for drivers to at least take chances. The generous runoff uh, makes it possible to have things go awry and not be a race ender uh and somehow i think the layout of it gives it a little bit more character than say like paul ricard uh where it just <laughs> kind of like similarly flat but it just doesn't feel like any corners really have personality here uh bahrain does have a lot of character like you mentioned uh that's sector two the the 910 complex is such a finicky little corner. It's such a fascinating hmm. thing where you have a surprisingly fast sharp turn out of nine into 10. So you kind of got a break while still turning in the suddenly tightening corner into a really sharp turn. And then you're on the DRS. Like that is such a weird entry exit uh, on the F1 calendar. Uh, there's not really a lot else that's like it. So I think it's become a, a really interesting track from a technical standpoint. I am really curious this year how it's going to play out because I think if straight line speed is converging just a little bit and Mercedes was struggling at this track with right. rear end stability, I think this could be a really interesting uh, matchup between the teams for this race. Yeah, uh, let's uh, take a look at the weather here. Um, Saturday, qualifying day, looks to be reasonably warm in the mid-80s Fahrenheit, or around 30 Celsius. Uh, wind, however, uh, 13 miles an hour, or 21 kilometers an hour. So uh, that could um, cause some issues in qualifying, if that does turn out to be the case. Uh, on Sunday, a l- much cooler um, because of some cloud cover. Uh, we're looking at uh, mid 20s Celsius or mid um, 70s in Fahrenheit, and the wind even faster, 22 miles an hour or 35 kilometers an hour. Right. So, uh, what was George Russell saying? Like, as long as there's no wind, Williams might be good. <laughs> uh, maybe we might have to wait. We'll have to um, see. And the thing I kept hearing was that the. The, the this is around the time where the weather starts to shift a little bit there and it's always it's it used to be a sort of mid-April race and it's sort of slowly crept back I think this is the earliest it's ever been like only just by you know a couple of days or so maybe a week um but that changeability might have been might be a factor with that win so we'll have to see how it plays uh, an effect especially on these cars that have less ground effect than they had last year Oh, Drew, you mentioned uh, George Russell there. There was one bit of news that I forgot to mention. George Russell is now the uh, head of the uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association. Oh, really? Um, I yeah, see. yeah he's, a, he's a director. Charge. Was Grosjean before? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Grosjean is remaining involved uh, to 
like uh, consult on safety issues. Uh, <laughs> no given that, yeah, uh, so he's still involved, basically dealing with the fallout from from his wreck. Uh, but yeah, the uh, one of the big changes they made this this time around is uh, like Russell's going to be the new rep for the uh, GDPA. They also introduced uh, their first non-driver uh, director, Anastasia Fowl is also going to be a uh, a director there but mostly focusing on like business uh side of gdp operations is sebastian Vettel also a director i don't think so i thought they had multiple driver directors there and alex Burris is the chairman i believe who is himself uh an ex-driver cool and uh anastasia is a uh, general counsel for Venturi. Is she a... Oh, that is. A... You're totally right. Okay. Cool beans. Got a good crew. Yeah. Uh, also, I forgot to mention uh, precipitation. It is 0% across cool. the weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a dry uh, one here, finally. Yeah, right. Um, this is usually where I uh, yell out the driver and team standings. We have a 20-way tie, everyone. Wow, Zero points across the board. Incredible. Who's winning then? Um, is it Alphabet or Date of Birth? George Russell's final... Well, he's is he the, the youngest? Still? No, or I guess Lando. Nikita no, Mazepin? no, it's, it's uh, Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, Yuki. Okay, cool. Yeah. So George is now congrats. old. <laughs> he is. Uh, and uh, Fantasy Standings, also tied. Uh, but you can join <laughs> our league in the show notes uh, with the little... Um, uh, entry code uh, you can also send us an email at shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or by going to f1.cool slash emails uh, we have some emails here already danny take us through them yes first one comes in from sheldon uh, and it's all about season predictions which i requested last week uh, which makes sense because as you can tell this is by far the shortest podcast we will do all year it is like the it is like the infinite time between the fifth light going red and them all disappearing um as as everyone just disappears back into their uh engine or into their garages for the next couple of weeks um or at least until race day uh but we have predictions um the thing i love about predictions is usually by the end of the first race weekend they've all <laughs> been scattered to the wind and they don't make any <laughs> no sense no predictions anymore. survive first contact <laughs> exactly. with bahrain so you did yours last week, where we all kind of gave a little bit of our predictions. Um, but Shelton has some here that we can have a little bit of a vibe off. Cool. Uh, hello, okay. Danny, Drew, and Darab. It's not a typo, I don't think. Um, you asked for predictions, so here's mine, alongside some overly verbose notes on why. Number one, Mercedes. This is an order of how they'll finish. So he's really going outside the box here with his first pick. The reason Mercedes have been so dominant is that they're constantly finding new ways to shave time. If their rivals gain a second on them between seasons, they gain a second and change. Uh, this year it'll be close, and you will likely see uh, at least a few times they lose a race on merit. But their biggest strengths are consistency and having the best driver on the grid. Gentlemen, thoughts? I cannot argue with that. Lewis Hamilton is a robot. <laughs> yeah, I just... I mean, I, I gave my reasoning for my prediction. I think that I think the I mean they've squeezed a lot of juice out of that Mercedes last year. They had Das to help them. They don't mm. this year, so I'm 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 a little skeptical that they're just going to find that second. Uh, number two, speaking of second, is Red Bull on Sheldon's list. 
Uh, this feels like a bit of a no-brainer since they're always strong and Max and Checo are very good. If anything makes them struggle, it will be the team dynamics getting in the way. If it's anything else, it's Max's somewhat inconsistent starts. He's either on the podium or not scoring, which isn't great when you need to bring the car home. Uh, I agree with that. I find it hard. I think I can't see them getting uh, having competition underneath them particularly close is the issue. The battle for third was very much a battle between the mid-pack rather than the sort of third best team if you get me yeah i I wonder if having um paris in there will be like a sort of it's like um he's got a a high floor i feel um certainly higher than when they bring in you know a half cock rookie uh to try to match max for Stappen immediately right right um actually uh, in that players tribune article ghastly talks about that specific thing and it's basically exactly what everybody's been saying like it's just a it's a it's a pressure cooker where no one supports you if your name isn't max for Stappen. but <laughs> sergio perez is a veteran of formula one like he he has he is experienced um and i feel like a lot of max's uh missteps may have come from trying to make up for uh, the deficit on the other side of the garage. So if they've got this sort of reliability in Perez, then Max won't necessarily feel like he needs to, uh, you know, take as many risks. Interesting. I think Max drives for himself and himself alone. So I think you're probably right. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what that the pressure is like because it will be probably the first time that Max has like a proper microscope on him, at least since Daniel. And um, I'm not sure if he reacted particularly well to that back then. Could be a different kind of pressure. I am really curious. Like the Red Bull, they're saying is more mannerly to drive this year. I'm very curious what'll happen if like. Perez just stays in contention with Max because Max, these last few years, the the intra team duel has basically been over, uh, <laughs> like almost instantaneously. So yeah, I'm real curious what happens if like Perez just kind of ends up in a situation where they're fighting for race leads or like P two or P three. Um, I'm super curious if we see some repeat repeated dynamics from both these guys. Both these guys have a history of like getting real sharp elbow with teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where Sheldon gets a little bit non-committal and wishy-washy, which I think speaks to just how uh, clueless we kind of all are about this <laughs> mid-pack. Um, but for number three, he's gone with Alpha Tari. Oh, uh, I love it. This is where I get weird. McLaren are adjusting to a new engine, and while they have a solid package overall and two good drivers, I think there's a good chance of reliability or other teething issues getting in the way of a third-place finish. So, interestingly, he is picking Alphatari almost by default because he does not trust McLaren. Um, And let me... I'll just do this little bunch together, maybe. Um, And then he's picked four slash five, which is such like a... (laughs) Come on, man. You gotta pick... Choose your shot, you know? This is a tie between McLaren and Alpine. Uh, Renault have made big gains over the season last year, and with Alonso in the car, I think he could drag in some surprising results. That said, McLaren were strong all season, and the Mercedes engine makes them a solid competitor. This will be a fight until the final race. Wow, okay. M- mentioned, Not mentioned there is Aston Martin, um, which I guess, for fun, let me throw that one in as well. 
they're a solid contender. He has them here at sixth. Uh, they're a solid contender for third, but you have reliability. Sorry, you have reli- reliably good driver, Perez, being replaced with one that is either brilliant or terrible, depending on his mood, Vettel. Mm. Stroll is probably the most talented paid driver on the grid, and he has flashes of brilliance, but I think his inconsistency will probably hurt uh, over the course of the season. So what do we think about this little pack here, three through six? Uh, where, where do you, how do you feel based on Sheldon's insights? I think this is a mess, Sheldon. Like, <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Uh, I think Alvatari for for three is really an interesting pick, and I can mm. I can kind of see it as somebody who currently is very high on uh, Gasly. I could I could get behind that, but I also kind of feel like. McLaren and Alpine aren't going to tie. You just couldn't choose between them. And so you gave them a tie, and then you just jammed Aston Martin in at six because, like, well, I guess I got to put them after. This, I think the real issue is I don't think Aston Martin loses to all three of those teams. I just don't see it happening unless Seb is truly tapped out. uh, And we see, like, his consistency, like, terrifies me. Uh, more than more than Strauss, but yeah, I, I, I think I think Aston at six is um, you kind of needed to commit as to whether you think McLaren or Alpine is gonna fall short here, and Aston Martin's gonna beat one of these teams. And I think it's Alpine that falls short. Um, yeah, I might be with I, you. I mean, we saw what Alonso could do in that Honda powered McLaren that was awful. Like he did, he worked some magic there. So uh, he could drag that team in some weird places. Uh, and what I, think, I don't know about Ocon. I mean, I if, if there's one thing we can yeah. say about Alonso's career is that he has never failed to drag a team to weird places. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I think Alfatari's big question mark is how good Yuki Tsunoda performs. Um, and and it's going to be hard to, to like it's going to be very interesting to see because. You know, he was he did he win driver of the year last year? I think um, he obviously won the championship, but I think he I think he might have won maybe driver's driver of the year in F two, um, in credit or rookie of the year he might have been actually. Um, I think that may yeah because this wasn't this his first. I think it was F two season and he scored third in the championship or something. Yeah, he was right in the mix. Like the the, yeah. the F two championship went down to the wire. Um, between all th- all three of them were in the mix. Um, that's um, that's some talent. Yeah, it's um, it's something else, and I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, uh, he didn't seem to be one of the more rattleable drivers on the grid. Um, maybe inconsistent sometimes, but you know, I think for the most part, he was he was he was kind of like a dark horse of the of the pack. So, um, it'll be very interesting to see how because I because I'm not sure we're going to see much of the other two based on the car they're in. Um, so <laughs> right. let's keep going because we're on the we're in the latter half of the. Uh, of the the predictions here and this is where it starts getting ugly uh number seven ferrari team red bad so many of their rows last year were down to iterating on a design which focused on a legal power unit the chucks are both solid drivers but i su- i'd be surprised if ferrari focuses on anything but the 2022 <laughs> car at this point the chucks they are both charles <laughs> wow chuckleheads <laughs> i didn't realize okay uh, yeah, it's it, yeah. It, Rob, is there a universe where Ferrari is third? Whoa, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. So, All right. 
it is tough to see that i think because the they've made gains on straight line speed that was a huge part of their issue but Bonato went into the season saying that like they are not going to develop this car much after uh the early races that they really are going to focus on 2022 and getting re- ready for the new regulations so i think they're already going into this with a cut your losses type mindset and hmm. i doubt they have made the gains to get back into contention for a high finishing position. Um, the one thing that makes me second guess that is like, they could be sandbagging a little bit. And two, it's all well and good to say, we're just going to punt on the season and we're going to like focus on uh, building our effort for next year. It's harder to actually do that for 22, 23 races, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is, like you say, like, hey, 2021 is going to be a wash. And then God help you if like you've overperformed a little bit and you're like five races deep in the season. And it's like just that little bit more because I don't think anybody wants to uh, shepherd another uh, Ferrari to the back of the grid. Yeah, I, I just wonder if if it's even in Ferrari to have a rebuilding year. You know? Okay, but remember this. The thing that they're all up against is that the budget cap means that like they can spend that money on the 22 car this year using their budget for this year. And so I think that's the real constraint is I think if Ferrari mm, yeah. like had the ability to just like, fuck it, we'll write bigger checks, I think they mm. would do it. But the thing is, I think they, like a lot of teams, are terrified that they will end up under-resourcing the development of the new spec car. And that is a thing where, like, for some short-term games here, gains here, uh, you have demolished your budget for building the best foundation you can for the next era. Did you guys see the um, the Twitter post that was going around with um, where what the name Smith is in every country? Yes, I yeah. did. And that's Ferrari is Smith what? in Italian. In, in Italy, in Italian, yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Apparently- I guess. Like, which, they're which carsmiths. Ex- yeah, and explains the horse. You know, okay. blacksmiths would have well, been I shoeing, I, shoeing I, horses. I guess, like, uh, Ferris is, uh, you know, steel in Latin. Yeah. So I guess you can see it, yeah. Ferro is iron in Italian, apparently. So Ferraro is a surname in Italy. And Ferrari is just the plural of Ferraro. So, yeah. It, then it kind of takes the glamour off. No, I, th- I love it. What, what, what'd you say, I Rob? feel like there should be more Ferraris then. You know what I mean? Like, If it was Smith, yeah. There should be like one on every corner. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there is. I don't know. Yeah. Ferrari You're computers. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. It, it humbles it a little bit in my head. It sounds less fancy as a way, but I thought that was interesting. Um, number eight, Sheldon has picked Williams. The idea that it only takes one or two good races to bump you up in your standings is pretty solid, and I expect him to be able to jump Alpha and Haas with a few surprising results. If they have a good day while everyone else is having a bad day, it could really pay off. Inconsistently decent is better than reliably shit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and I'll round off the end here. I think we're probably in agreement here, maybe. Uh, number nine, Alfa Romeo. We will wonder when Kimi is retiring. Gio will seem unimpressive, uh, but both will score a couple of points across the season. The new Ferrari engine will help their pace, but they'll uh, still be near the back of the grid. And finally, number 10, Haas. 
Haas will score exactly 12 points, all of which will be applied to Mazepin's race license, and he will have to sit out a race. <laughs> um, Vettel will be complaining about blue flags while racing for 8th place. Schumacher will start poorly, but begin to come into his own by the end of the season. He will then go to Alpha to replace either Kimi or Gio. Gene will sell uh, the team to Papa Mazepin by the end of the year. Those are all very disappointingly possible. Yeah. And eight through nine seems about right. What do you think? Williams I like an eighth place Williams. Alpha. Yeah. I I don't I don't know. I hope. That'd be cool. It feels good. It's like the third place alpha. You're like Alpha Tari, I should say. You're yes. kinda like, yeah, that that's that's a fun prediction. I can get behind it's a positive prediction. I can get behind it. I I think it would be it's I think it's more possible. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say it's more possible than a, a third place Alpha Tari, but I don't mm. know. Uh, thank you very much Sheldon, Sheldon for his predictions he also did the bingo card the unofficial shift f1 bingo card on our discord uh, so you can go check that out too uh, drew you want to take this next one from alex sure alex says greetings speedy boys after being greatly disappointed by the by the alpine team jackets um <laughs> which lack the beautiful electric blue of the car livery aside from a french flag motif down the zipper uh, as you can see here, and then Alex links to the Formula One official store. Um, I got to wondering, what team wear does the Shift F1 crew find to be the best? And do you actually have any pieces of gear uh, you enjoy? It can be this year or any. Uh, we all know Drew loves the Williams Martini stuff. Does Rob have a secret stash of old Ferrari gear? Is there a Kimoa cap in the back of Danny's closet? Signed, Alex. Uh, number one... I actually think the Alpine stuff um, is maybe some of the best looking gear. I poked around on the store today. Um, they have a, a shirt that is the electric blue, which looks pretty cool. Um, I just think their their design and their topography is a, a sort of m- minimal but racy kind of look. Everybody else just, I don't know, they're like, they're trying to do something different, but in so doing, get away from looking cool. I, I don't know. I I think Alpine and I think maybe McLaren have mm. uh, the coolest stuff this year. I mean, orange is such a cool accent color. Um, but yeah, with the Williams hat that I have, that I got at the, um, it was at the uh, US Grand Prix, I think that you and I went to, Danny. Yes. Um, that's where I got mine. I paid like 50 bucks for a hat, (laughs) but it looks so good. I love that hat. I wear it all the time. It's a solid hat. I think the only Um, cap that I have is the, uh, Marussia ones that were sent. Was it Marussia? Manor? Manor. Manor. Sorry. It was a manor. It was, um, Alexander Rossi signed them. We had one of our listeners. Uh, I still have it. I still have it hanging up in my um, my room. Yeah. It's, uh, says to the, is is it all type one podcast? I think it's all type one. Yeah. Maybe it was. Yeah. Um, I think it was before he won the Indy 500. Oh, that's cool. So wow, those are, it's gone up. Those are collector's items. That's an endorsement um, yeah. from an Indy 500. Big fan of our podcast, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hot. I've, I, the, like F1, your Williams cap I thought was c- cool. I like the look of it. Um, but most F1 uh, fashion I just can't get behind. It's like, a, it's like, it's like wearing like an Apple watch. It freaks me out because it's such a signal to the world yes. that I have money to burn or something that I just, it makes me feel like super. Yeah, I mean, the t-shirts are like 60 bucks. Yeah, well, you see a Ferrari a jacket. Like I used to go to the, there's a bunch of stores on the Champs-Élysées in, in Paris that you can go to like the Ferrari have a store there. I think Mercedes have, there's a bunch there's of them. There's one in San Francisco. Oh, there is really? Yeah. 
would you go in and see one of those Ferrari jackets? And they're like $400 for like yeah. a, a rain jacket. You're like, what? Um, so I don't know. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, uh, uh, you know, their their precious Ferrari jacket they got 10 years ago, just still able to wear. Um, but I don't know. I think color-wise, McLaren, I'm with you. It's like that. I've always been an orange and black sort of fan. Um, but it's hard to tell because so many of these teams, like I would have loved Haas stuff. But like, I See, don't want hot stuff now. Well, yeah, but I think this is how you do it. I think if you if you see something, uh, it first has got to look good. But I think I would be much more excited about um, finding something that you know is going to be a little strange. Like when yeah, Rich right. Energy got on, you're like, hmm, like, yeah. I would not want anything Rich Energy right now. But like, that was sort of a, like, for example, it's a, it was a fun weird thing that was going on with branding and so i think you can if you jump on something like that that could be really fun to own like i have a um i the actually the only other i just remembered i had this i have, I have a, a caterham t-shirt from wow. when they did the kickstarter to try to save the team oh my god when they were selling like front wings and stuff yes oh my god so gosh. if you can like time it right to get yeah. one of those or what rob just linked <laughs> Jesus, Rob? this is this is rough, Rob. I was just looking at the at the uh, McLaren merch, and I found a T-shirt with a uh, ghostly picture of Stoffel <laughs> Van Dorn with a stylized Stoffel running vertically up the left uh, left uh, abdomen of the shirt, uh, with the E replaced by his number two. Um, and one could say his time with the team was a big number two. <laughs> And uh, that is now retailing for eight dollars, um, <laughs> down from forty-eight. Wow, quite the I'm deal. You, they did that guy so dirty. It's so it's so bad. Yeah. I like I will never. I don't know what to make of all that. Uh, There's only nine left in extra small. I can't believe they still have these on the store. Here's my deal. Like, there's a couple things. One. <laughs> I'm a fat American who's fed nothing but carbs uh, until I was like 20 years old, right? So, like, uh, there's a lot of certain assumptions about body type and like frame that just do not hold true, like in F1 merch that do yeah. not hold true for me. Uh, like, football gear is more my speed. Uh, American football gear. Uh, a lot of a lot of F1 merch, like it would look. I saw Hazel Southwell call uh, "Drive to Survive" the uh, extra dramatic Twink Racing series, and I think that <laughs> is a decent descriptor of like who a lot of this merch is made for. That ain't me. Uh, the but I will say, making an allowance for that, I also do tend to enjoy, in a weird way, bland. Uh, really corporate aesthetics in some ways. <laughs> and so like, I, like I'm somebody who has a Barcelona chair in his house uh, <laughs> because like, and that is the, it's a good chair. It's just a, it, you know, office has ruined it. Anyway, point is, so I actually do feel a pull toward things like some of the Mercedes gear or, uh, or honestly, like I'm a big fan of the destiny, like aesthetics of the McLaren uh, mm. dark and orange. Yeah. There you go. We should all commit to getting something. That should be our next Patreon thing is that we do video podcasts completely garbed, head to toe, 
in <laughs> F1 aesthetics. Actually, that sounds very harsh. I'm not sure I want to do that. Sounds and expensive. Well, we could get a McLaren Hawaiian shirt. I think that would. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh my god, the they McLaren used to make that shirt section. XL. Almost gone is the McLaren 2020 team shirt. Yeah, they have a lot of. Oh Jesus, pina colada, anyone? Featuring a classic Hawaiian print in McLaren's team colors. Wow. See, you're that's... a parrot head and you're a big fan of McLaren. Oh my God. That's it's $98. It's $98 that, that shirt. Okay, next question. Speaking of uh, cost saving, um, this one comes in from Micah. Hey guys, just dropping a note. Flax and bamboo fibers are being more and more used in composites. This is a reference to the... Um, in our preseason primer, I believe, we talked about how they sort of added some other materials, new materials into the list of uh, allowed, permitted materials in uh, F1 car manufacturing. Uh, flax in particular is a great substitute for carbon fiber in various places. Here's a link to a flax fiber boat, which we will include in the show notes. Cheers and keep up the good work. And then uh, Drew sent me a little bit of a link, which I believe came from Luminol on Twitter. Um, which was a great little article on Jalopnik written by Elizabeth Blackstock all about how carbon fiber holds up in a crash test. And yeah, apparently um, it's cost effective. It's uh, flax-based fibers don't splinter the same way that carbon fiber does. Um, It's also, uh, I believe you can reuse it if stuff has been broken and crashed Mm. uh, easier, which carbon fiber is a lot, lot trickier because of the way it's weaved. Um, So yeah, apparently I, I assumed that this stuff would be used interior or you know something to do with seats or seat belts or something but apparently because it was light yeah exactly um but no apparently it's a it's it's an interesting way of i guess composite um manufacturing has gotten to the point where it can now use a lot of this stuff as well so that's pretty pretty neat cool Uh, Rob, you want to take this last one from caleb caleb's writing about the yo-yo car In the preseason episode, you were discussing how Williams will yo-yo this season, with some races being good and others being bad, depending on the conditions. Rob made the point that with so many races, all teams might start making cars built for certain tracks so they can get a lot of points in those races and coast the rest. We've already seen that happen in the 1983 World Rally Championship. The story is that Audi had just developed their four-wheel drive system, the first team to do so. Lancia had a rear-wheel drive car and knew that they could not beat Audi on the tough off-road stages. To maximize points per stage, they didn't show up to some races they knew they were going to lose and brought twice as many cars to the races where they had an advantage. This led them to winning the championship, the last two-wheel drive car to do so. A short documentary on the rally season was made by the Grand Tour with Jeremy Clarkson if you want more info. Obviously, this can't be done in F1 because there isn't such a drastic change in tracks and the rules on how many cars you can bring. But it does prove the method of building a yo-yo car. Love the show and can't wait for the season to start. Best of luck, Caleb. Dad, I would be so furious if I were Audi. You didn't You didn't even compete at a bunch of the tracks. You just flooded the zone on the tracks where your shitty car was good. It's outrageous. They, they, they marked uh, the turbo driver in their fantasy league. <laughs> for those races I right, would, yeah. oh something should have been done 
You can't. This is like this is a this is a good example of like free market economics or something, or why regulation is good because <laughs> like this is what happens <laughs> if you don't have rules. You're Audi. You made the best car hands down that season. <laughs> Here's Lancia with fifty fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> they each got one point. What do you want? <laughs> It's so funny. I love the idea of them, like, just... Because, uh, I guess, WRC, so... WRC is... is that, That's point-to-point, point, right? All, yeah. all of us? Yeah, so... Yeah. It's, not, it's not like you could, um... It, you know, I, I'm just imagining a world in which it's circuit racing, and they just have, like, a pack of Lancias that just corrals one of the other cars while one of the other Lancias... of, like, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like a phalanx or something. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, yeah. We were still doing episode titles... Uh, Peloton of Garbage would be a great one. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that's emails. Uh, again, shiftf one podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf one podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? Dude? Let's race around the world. Oh, yeah. A lot of stuff is kicking off this weekend. Not only Formula One, but Formula Two as well is also in Bahrain. Uh, United States Formula Four, starring one Juju Noda, who Ooh. is starting uh, her first uh, U.S. championship this year, um, begins at uh, Road Atlanta. I tried to look to see if you could watch replays of those races, but I don't actually know if they film them right in a way that is conducive to watching they have like highlight videos on youtube but i don't know uh, if i'm wrong about that let me know uh we have camping world trucks at the bristol motor speedway for the pinties truck race on dirt <laughs> uh cool. this may be i saw some images floating around in the shift f1 discord uh of what l- appeared to be them covering a nascar track in dirt so this may be that pinty yeah it looks like it this looks like a oval a dirt oval a doval yeah a doval that looks fun i've been playing a lot of the monster truck game that came out on ps5 last week recently so i'm down with this there's a that ps5 game- monster truck game yeah, I think this one came out. I think it's is a Monster Truck Championship. I think it came out on PC last year, end of last year. But it's real fun when you start driving and it's like, turn left stick to turn your front wheels. Turn right stick to turn the back wheels. What? I know. You want to see donuts? Oh, man. That's like front and rear brake in the MotoGP games. That's Yeah. Whew. Dude, wrap I, your head I, around that. There's a Supercross game that came out as well last week. And it is the most difficult thing I've ever played. It's like unbelievable. It's like the Dark Souls of racing. High speed trials, dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like all the different like crazy things you have to do to keep those bikes on the track. You know, when I play F one games in a sit, you know, downstairs in the in the bloody race seat, and like I play this thing, and I feels like I don't know how to play video games. It's so hard. Apparently, fans love it though. So there you go. You said it, not me. Y'all should check out. There's a breakdown on uh, Front Stretch about what this dirt track race is. Are you aware of how fucking weird this thing is? No. <laughs> okay. Um, so Friday there will be. Uh, let's see. The the format gets the, the format gets weird here. Um, there's qualifying <laughs> races. Uh, running Saturday to start set the starting field for the main event Sunday. Okay, scoop uh, an F one. I like it. Four qualifying races. 
Whoa. 11 okay. cars each. 15 laps. Wow. That's an ultimate sprint race. The fields for the quality races are random draws. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, uh, top 10 finishers from each qualifying race go to the final on Sunday. But hold on. It gets it gets weirder. There's passing points. So where a driver finishes in the main event versus where he started gives extra points. Oh like, wow. So if you make up places, you get extra points uh during uh for for your performance uh during during the race. God, imagine how many how many points who'd win an F1 if you brought that in? Like Kimi or Giovinazzi? Someone who qualifies bad and does better in the race. And here's the final thing. The main race is being run in three stages. The stages end at laps 75, 150, and 250. You can only pit during the stage breaks. <laughs> I have... What is this? This is a massive experiment. NASCAR <laughs> yeah. is running a massive format experiment um as a comp like fuck i'm I'm gonna have to watch this thing (laughs) this sounds i don't know if it sounds good but it sounds fascinating well it's on saturday it's and on sunday let us know how it goes how many races can they have (laughs) arguably their main race is also three different races (laughs) yeah is this is the is the food city dirt race happening alongside this drew uh i believe you mean the food city dirt race sorry <clears throat> yes sir for the yeah for the cup series yeah same place beautiful or as we like to call it food city <laughs> uh motor gp is also starting this weekend in qatar at losail international circuit that's a shame they would have driven really good around a oval dirt track yeah who was uh is it casey stoner who was the uh the dirt track racer that would like drift a moto gp bike right wow Ugh. i wish i was watching when he was racing that just seems absolutely wild and we got formula one this weekend these are all eastern time we have free practice one kicking off friday march 26th on espn u Ooh. school's back in class or whatever Yep. Uh, free practice two. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's at 7:30 a.m. Eastern time. These are this is a very watchable weekend. Um, free practice two is at 11 a.m. Also on ESPNU for you and me. Uh, free practice three Saturday, <laughs> March 27th at 8 a.m. Followed by qualifying at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Those are both mm-hmm. on ESPN two, and the race Sunday, March 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern time Ooh. on ESPN two. The Deuce. Beautiful. I'll be up. Yeah, that's 8 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, that's doable. I can do that. Yeah. Uh, Final thoughts, Danny. Excited. Kick it off here. Racing is back. This year is going to be really weird. I have this is if you are new to F1, I don't think in the modern era we have had this many driver changes or this many new teams, quote unquote, new teams. It just seems like, you know, we were expecting 2021 to be a whole new set of regulations. We're not getting that sort of stuff that's coming next year but it is no less weird. I, I, I That mid-pack, there's a lot of questions. And honestly, 
for the first time in a while, there might be questions at the front too. We'll have to wait and see. Indeed. Rob? I hope there's questions at the front. I hope there's lots <laughs> yeah. of questions. I've certainly staked my season predictions on there being questions at the front. So fingers crossed uh, this year that Mercedes gets a nasty surprise. And uh, we got a whole new ball game before the before this era ends. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, I am also, <laughs> should go without saying, very, very excited for the start of the season. It's going to be a long one uh, if as long as COVID doesn't rear its ugly head any more than it already has. 23 races. Buckle up, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to support, support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everybody. We will see you all <laughs> next week. Yeah.